Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. And uh, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 10. God, we thank you for this time that we have in your word. Thank you for this time that we have as your church. Thank you for the the blessing that it is to gather together in your name. Lord, one thing I I was not mentioned earlier, but I wanted to pray about is I pray for Callum Kalich. Pray for the Kalich family, Lord, as they are going through um, some trials right now with Callum's health. We pray for your for your miraculous healing. We pray for your power to be at work in Callum. We know that your power already is at work. And Lord, we pray for um, grace. We pray for the the peace that surpasses all understanding to be given to Cameron and Natalie. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the grace that you have given us in your son, Jesus. I pray that as we open your word today, we would be nurtured, we would be refreshed, we would be showered with your grace. Please bless your word. I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you use me for your glory, that you fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would make the gospel very real, very alive to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope that everyone here can agree with me, but I would say babies are cute, right? Babies are cute. Babies are cute. I mean, I know that, you know, when they first come out of the womb, yeah, sometimes they look a little alien-like. But my point is babies are are a gift from God. They are extremely cute. And, you know, they do some crazy things sometimes and, and they do, you know, they, they make a mess when they're eating and all of that. But there's just, they're cute. I think their cuteness kind of helps us, you know, uh, put up with them. But uh, imagine what would happen if you have a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old that it is that is still acting like a baby. Imagine you have a 15-year-old that is still eating and making a huge mess like a baby or that it's not really talking or, you know, that's just not normal, right? That's not cute anymore. I think a baby, it's nice when the little baby goes and, and babbles a little bit or, or, you know, makes a little bit of a mess sometimes. But when a grown person does the same thing, that's not cute anymore, right? That's just, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And the reason why I'm mentioning, why I mentioned this is because one of the things that Paul is telling the Ephesians is that the goal is that they would grow up. The goal is that they would stop being children. The goal is that, and I'm going to, 
quote him in in chapter four, verse, um, you know, verse thirteen. It says, "Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness." in deceitful schemes, right? So the goal is that we would grow up, that we would no longer be spiritual babies, right? It's, it's kind of cute when you have a new believer and you see their, their newly found faith and how they're so excited about preaching the gospel, but you also see some of their mistakes, but it's, it's not cute anymore. It's not acceptable when you have a, someone who should be a mature believer someone who has been years in the faith, but they are still acting like spiritual children. And so Paul here, or God through Paul, is exhorting us, exhorting the the Ephesians to grow up, to be mature. Now, we are going to get to to all of that. We're going to get to, you know, the idea of of God giving uh, gifts to the church, uh, God-giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. We're going to get to all of that. But before we get there, I really felt like we needed to hear and spend more time in the first section of this passage. So I'm going to read verses uh, 7 through 10. We're not even going to get to the apostles, prophets, evangelists part yet we're going to leave all of that for next week this week i want us to focus on the grace of god this week i really want us to 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 uh uh, plunge into god's grace because i believe that ultimately in order to grow up in order to spiritually grow in order to to do the ministry that we we have been called to in order to grow uh, united as a church, we need the grace of God. So let's read uh, verses 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So remember, Paul has just been uh, talking to them about how they need to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. Paul has just been talking to them about how they need to pursue the unity of the church. They need to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. He is going to tell them that the goal is that they do ministry, that they build up the church, that they grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He is giving them some really, really hefty goals, right? He wants the Ephesians to grow, to be mature, to to, uh, edify one another. But, we are not going to be able to do any of these things. We're not going to be able to grow into unity. We're not going to be able to 
mature into the stature of Christ. We're not going to be able to speak the truth in love to one another if we are not saturated and soaked with God's grace. Have you ever wondered why Olympic divers shower in between dives? So Elena and I really like watching the Olympics. And one of the events that we like is the diving. Uh, but one thing I've always found curious is why do they shower or why do they go into maybe like a, like a smaller pool in between, uh, in between dives? And well, I found out that they do this to keep their muscles warm. The water that they're usually use, using in the shower or that, that little pool is actually warmer than the water of the pool and also warmer than the environment itself of the indoor pool. And of course, you know, you can, yeah, uh, uh, if you are an athlete, you want your muscles to stay warm, right? If you, if your muscles cool down and you, you know, do a sudden, sudden, uh, uh, difficult, hard movement, you could hurt yourself. And so these athletes, what they do is that before they go and dive, before they go and perform, before they go and, and do what they were supposed to do, they have to shower themselves in this warm water to, to, to protect themselves. And so, you know, I know it's not a perfect analogy, but I do think that before we go and dive into these good works that God has prepared for us beforehand, that we would walk in them, we need to come and shower with the warm grace of God. We need to come back to the grace of God and make sure that we are soaked in his grace because it's only through his grace that we are going to be ready for action. It's only through his grace that we're going to be able to do the things that he has called us to do. As I've been thinking about this sermon, I, I, I feel like God has really been working uh, in me through this passage. I feel like there are, um, I feel like there are times when, when I come here and I'm preaching, I'm preaching about God's grace when I myself I'm feeling depleted of God's grace or, or, or when I myself feel like I'm running on just on fumes. I come here and, you know, sometimes I have to do it, right? If I don't preach, then there is no sermon. I, I can be like, hey, Jordan, do you want to cover for me on a Sunday morning? <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to you unless I'm sick. But um, I do feel like God has been working in me uh, through this passage and he has been showing me how I need to rely on his grace. And I think that you can identify with me. I know that, you know, you don't necessarily come up here and preach, but I do feel like we as Christians struggle with doing all of the things that we're supposed to do, but doing it with our tank really empty, just running on fumes. I know that you know, there are moms and parents who, who know that they should be parenting their kids and they are doing it. They're discipling their kids. They are disciplining them in the discipline and correction of the Lord. And they are teaching them about God and they're teaching them about God's grace while they themselves are just running low. While they themselves, their, their spiritual muscles are cooling down. Or I know that there are Husbands and parents who know that they are supposed to be leading their families, who know that they're supposed to be doing better, who know that they're supposed to not be passive anymore, but work hard to lead their families, but they struggle with 
a, a sense of hypocrisy because they say, how can I lead my family in the grace of God if I myself, I'm not filled with his grace, if, his grace, if I myself, I'm not, I'm not relying on the grace of God. I'm sure that there's that, that the singles in our church, they know that they're supposed to be content in their situation that God has them. I, they know that they're supposed to be satisfied with, with their relationship with the Lord. But I am sure that they struggle in thinking, well, man, I just have not felt the grace of God. How am I supposed to be satisfied in God if I cannot feel his grace for me right now? And, you know, I, I, I could go on. There are so many situations of life. It could be sickness. It could be uh, uh, struggles within the family where we know that we should be relying on God's grace, but we just do not feel God's grace showering us. And so that's why I felt like today I just really wanted to, 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 to dig deeper into this passage and talk about the grace of God for us. Because ultimately we cannot do any of the good works that God has, pre has prepared for us to do. We cannot walk into the calling that God has called us to if we are not dependent on his grace. So today's point is simple. It's really simple. We need to be showered in God's grace to walk according to the calling that he has given us. And so I, we're just going to go through a few points that I have from this passage. And the first one is that God gives grace to each one of us individually. So it's right there in verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us. Now this is, uh, Paul is talking about the unity of the body, right? He says there is one verse four, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he's talking about these, you know, the, the, the unity of the church. And he's talking how we are a part of something greater. We are part of this one body. But I love that in verse 7, he goes on and addresses the individual. He says, but each one of us has been given grace. So even though this, this body is made out of tons and millions of people, it says that each one of us, every single one of us has been given grace. Just think about this. This is amazing. Like the grace that you have received is not just a grace that, you know, was given to the whole church and you just because you were hanging out with them, you received a little bit. No, no, no. God has given each one of you grace. He has not left any one of us out that belong to him. If you belong to him, if you are a part of his family, he has given you grace. Number two, God's grace and Christ's gift are immeasurable. So he has given grace to each one of us. And the really amazing news is that the grace of God is beyond measure. The grace of God never runs out. It is inexhaustible. It is never ending. The grace of God is infinite. In, uh, if you go back to chapter, chapter 2, 
Just listen to what God has done for you through his grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. This is, this is uh, uh, what God has done for us by his grace. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think about this. You have been saved by the grace of God. I know that this is a, a simple truth of the Christian life that every Christian should know, but I feel like we forget that so often. We forget that we have been saved by the grace of God. When we sin, when we fail, when we uh, do the wrong thing, I feel like so often we struggle with that sin and we take forever to come back to a relationship or to communion with God because we forget that we have been saved by grace. Because we forget that there is nothing that we can do to affect the standing of our salvation. Because it is a gift from God. I love how it says it, right? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. God saved us because of the great love that he has for us. And again, I think that when we struggle, when we feel empty, when our, when our, when our tank is empty and we are just running on fumes, the one thing that we need to remember is that God loves us. The one thing that we need to remember is the grace of God that saved us. The grace of God never runs out, right? It says in verse, uh, chapter two, verse uh, seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The grace of God never ends, never runs out. Number three, everything that we have is a gift from God. Everything that we have is a gift from God, including our ministry. So not only is our salvation a gift of God by his grace, but everything else that we have is a gift from God. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is, Paul is really, he's rebuking the Corinthians because of their, their divisiveness. And, and one of the things that he asks, one of the rhetorical questions that he asks is, what do you have that you have not received? And obviously the answer is nothing, right? Everything that we have, we have received it from God. God, by his grace, has not only given us salvation, but he has given us 
every good gift, right? It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul really, really understood that everything that he had, including and, and perhaps even especially his ministry was given by him or sorry, it, it was given to him by God's grace. And I think that we need to understand this as well. The ministry that you have, the calling that you have has been given to you by God's grace. If you have been called to be a mom, to be a dad, it has been given to you by God's grace. If you have been called to a ministry of, of um, you know, if you have been called to, to be a teacher at a school, It has been given to you by God. If you have been called to be a worker for a company, it has been given to you by God. If you have been called to being a deacon of the church, it has been given to you by God. If you're an elder, it has been given to you by God. If you are single, it has been given to you by God. Every single ministry or every calling that you have received, it has been given to you by God. Notice what Paul says. If you go back to chapter three in Ephesians, This is how he understands his ministry. He says, uh, for verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of, of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So he understands that according to God's stewardship, according to his grace, he gave him a ministry to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Also, uh, verse seven Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. The ministry that you have, the ministry that God has called you to, it has been given to you by God's grace. It is a gift of his grace. And I think it is incredibly helpful to know that this ministry has been given to us by God's grace because if we're honest, we are very weak and sinful and incapable. I, I don't think that Paul is being facetious or fake when he says in verse eight, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, right? When we read that, some, might, some of us might be tempted to think, come on, Paul, like you're just being like, you know, like outwardly humble, right? Saying to me who I am the least of all the saints, come on, Paul, you are Paul, right? You're not the least of all the saints. But I think Paul understood his own sinfulness. He understood his own weakness. In 1 Timothy 1.14, Paul is also talking about his calling. He's also talking about his ministry. And I love this passage. Um, 1 Timothy 1.14, he says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost but I received mercy for this reason that in me as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full, full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners 
of whom I am the foremost. I think we all are able to, to think in this way, to have a realistic view of ourselves and say, wow, God has given me this ministry. I am the least of all the saints. I am the foremost of all the sinners. I fail so often. I am so weak. I do so poorly. And yet God has given me this ministry. There is no other way that he would have given me this ministry except by his grace. And of course, if he has given me this ministry, if he has entrusted me to this ministry by his grace, then it is by his grace that I will continue to do this ministry. I cannot do it in my own strength. I cannot be a parent. I cannot be a husband. I cannot be a, 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 a teacher. I cannot be whatever it is that you are. I cannot be a boss. I cannot be a retiree. I cannot be whatever it is that you are. I cannot be this except by God's grace. Now, Paul links the ascension of Jesus to the giving of grace and gifts. I do think that the ascension of Jesus is one of the doctrines that the church has not really spent a lot of, well, that's, the church has. The church has done, who am I to say the church hasn't done this or done that? The church is super old. But I do feel like in many churches today, we know very well, you know, the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus. And we spend time thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. But I do think that sometimes we don't spend enough time thinking about the ascension of Jesus, right? Jesus came, we think of the incarnation of Jesus. He came down. We think of the death of Jesus. He died on the cross. We think of his resurrection. He rose on the third day. But then we kind of just forget about that and, and don't think very often about his ascension. But for Paul, the ascension of Jesus was a really huge deal. And not just for Paul, it was a huge deal for Peter as well, right? And, and really for all the New Testament writers, the ascension of Jesus was a really big deal because when Jesus ascended, that was basically his coronation ceremony. When Jesus ascended, that was his vindication. That was when God showed and well, that was when God showed the world that Jesus is Lord of everything. That was when God raised or, or brought, I'm, I'm, I'm using, I need to use the biblical language here. In, in chapter one, this is what he says. Chapter one, verse 19, he's talking about the power of God. And he says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's talking about the ascension of Jesus and notice the, the, the implications of the ascension of Jesus. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We do not worship a crucified Lord. He was crucified and that was incredible. That was so good for us. That was, that was the grace of God. 
we do not worship only a resurrected Lord who is still around walking on the earth. No, we worship a glorified, ascended Lord who is seated at the right hand of God, who has dominion and authority and power. We worship a resurrected Lord who is the head over all things. And he is the head of the church. And that's why we have boldness because our Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of God because he has all authority. He has all power. And for Paul, this was very one of the, one of the, uh, um, one of the important things about the ascension of Jesus is that at his ascension, Jesus gifted us with everything we need to do the ministry that he has given us. At the ascension of Jesus, he gifted us with everything that we need for his ministry, for the ministry that he has called us to do. In verse 8, it says, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So this is the reference of Psalm 68 that uh, Sam read a little earlier. Um, and so basically he is saying when Jesus ascended on high, and he, and there's a couple of things from this, from this particular verse, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. His ascension means that he took us captive with him to the heavenly Places. His ascension means, and I have already mentioned this, but his ascension means that we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God. I, I repeat this because it is so important for us that we remember that we are not ourselves. You are not, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to God. Uh, on Friday, I was in the middle of a meeting and I got a text message saying that uh, one of my friends had a, a, a medical issue and he needed to perform a wedding on Saturday. And so basically they were asking me if I could fill in for him. The last thing I wanted to do on a Saturday is go perform a wedding for which I'm not prepared for, for, for a couple that I don't know. It was the last thing that I wanted to do. Every single part of me did not want to do this. Uh, but, you know, I, I went home that evening, that afternoon, and uh, I really praise the Lord for Elena because she, God uses Elena to convict me. And one of the things that Elena told me, really, this is pretty much the only thing that she told me is, remember that you are not your own. Remember that you belong to God. <laughs> You're, you are so right. You are so right. And so I, you know, I, I uh, called my friend and told him, I'll do it. Uh, fortunately, and by the grace of God, they found someone else to do it. And so I didn't even have to do it. But, <laughs> but, but there was a battle there, right? There was a battle in my heart. And I am so thankful that God used Elena to remind me of this reality that I've been preaching that I am, that I do not belong to myself. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. You are Christ captive, right? The, the, the language here is, is military. 
If you pay attention to Psalm 68, it's a military psalm, right? It talks about like dogs licking blood and just, it, it's, it's an intense scene. And in this scene, God is fighting for his people. God is descending to the earth and he is fighting to deliver his people. But in this psalm, God is bringing his people as the, as the, the, the bounty. God is bringing his people as his property. And so when God saved us, he saved us from our slavery to sin. He saved us from our slavery to the world, to, to Egypt. But he didn't save us so that we could do whatever we wanted to do. He didn't save us just so that we could, you know, go run wild. He saved us for himself. We are his captives. We belong to him. That's why Paul says so many times, I am a prisoner of Christ. I belong to Christ. And the ascension of Jesus means that we have been taken with him to the heavenly places. When he was about to die, he told his, Jesus, his disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. Well, he did, right? The image that we usually have is Jesus building like a, you know, a golden mansion. No, he was going to prepare a place for them in heaven. And when he ascended to heaven, he took us with him to heaven. It says right there in, in chapter two, uh, but God being rich in mercy because of the grace, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He took us captive and we are with him in the heavenly places. But also he, at his ascension, he has given us gifts. He has given us the Holy Spirit. For Peter, it was very clear in Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This is Peter during uh, Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. He is explaining what had just happened to them. And so he says, he's quoting scripture. He says, uh, Acts 2.32, he says, This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. He's talking about the ascension of Jesus. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus ascended. He received the Holy Spirit. He received gifts and he gave us the Holy Spirit. And so think about this. God has saved us. He has given us a calling. He has called us to work towards the unity of the church. He has called us to grow into maturity. He has called us to love one another, to serve one another, but he has not left us to do it on our own strength. He has not left us on our own. He ascended. He brought us with him as captives and he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could do what he called us to do. By his infinite, by his immeasurable grace, he has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can serve him. Think about this. In light of your calling, in light of the calling that you have from God. Whenever you are feeling like giving up, whenever you're feeling like you're running on fumes, that you're almost empty, 
remember that you are spiritually seated in the heavenly places right there with Jesus. Remember that he has given you his Holy Spirit. Remember that in his grace, in his immeasurable grace, he gave you the Holy Spirit so that you can access the throne of grace so that you can enter into his presence whenever you want. And you can access and you can enter with boldness, with confidence, because the Father loves you so much that he gave Jesus to die for you to be the mediator between you and him. In verses 9 and 10, Paul is talking about the ascension, but he is, he is doing theology here. He's, he's looking at, at, at Psalm 68, and Psalm 68 mostly talks about Jesus' uh, uh, about Jesus's ascension, but Paul now is thinking about his descending. And so this passage is a little bit confusing, especially because earlier, it was kind of interpreted to mean that Jesus descended into, into the, the, the inner parts of the earth, kind of like, you know, maybe thinking about the Apostles' Creed where it says that, you know, he, went, he descended into hell, or maybe thinking about First Peter where it talks about Jesus preaching to the, I cannot remember if it's in Peter or Jude, but there's a passage there that talks about Jesus preaching to the, to the, to the spirits imprisoned, etc. But I think that here, what Paul has in mind is, the ascension of Jesus into heaven as opposite to his incarnation, as opposite to his coming down to earth. Right? After all, here in, in this book, he's only talked about heaven and earth. Right? That's kind of the, the framework that he has, is heaven and earth. And so he is saying, if Jesus ascended, what does it mean? But, also, but, but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. I really think what Paul is trying to get at here is if he descended and sacrificed himself on the cross, how much more will he not shower us with gifts at his ascension, right? I, I think he does that in, in, in a few other places where he says, if he has done this, how much more will he not do this? And I think this is similar to, to, to what he's trying to get at. He's saying, if he descended, if he came down to earth, if he humbled himself, if he became a servant and he became obedient to the point of death in death, death on a cross, if by his grace, he gave his own life for you, how much more at his ascension will he not give us gifts? Will he not give us the grace that we need to do what we need to do, what he has called us to do? So in the moments that we're feeling weak or empty or, or um, like we're just, not able to, to sense God's grace, I think it would be really good for us to, to think about his descending to the earth, to think about the incarnation of Jesus, to think about this, this uh, verse that I quoted earlier, 
in First Timothy where it says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I think that in the moments that we are struggling, that we are feeling like we don't measure up, or like we're feeling like we have fell into the same sin over and over, or we just don't feel the grace of God. I think we need to remember that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's really the only way that we were going, that we are going to make progress. When we remember the grace of God. It's not when we remember how good we are or how good we've done. It's when we remember how terrible, terrible we are. And how God in his grace came, how Jesus in his grace came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So before we go into communion, which is one way that we can, that we can receive grace, I do want to talk about a few other ways in which we can, we can uh, um, tap into this grace because I think that sometimes it's, it's difficult, right? It's, it's, it's difficult to connect that and say, okay, yes, I know, I know his grace. I know about his grace, but how do I, how do I get this grace? How, how do I drink from it? How do I shower in his grace? And I think for one is communion with him, is spending time with him. I think it's really difficult to, to dwell in God's grace if we are not even spending time with him in prayer. If we are not coming to his word, right? We, we are, we're going to have a very hard time knowing about his grace if we are not being saturated with the word that tells us about his grace. Do you feel like you're running on empty? Well, how's your Bible reading? Because when, when we are not being fed the truth of the gospel over and over, but instead we are being fed the lies of the world, then of course we're going to be running on fumes. Of course we're going to forget about God's grace. But when we come to the word of God, when we are saturated with the word of God, with the truth, we are reminded over and over, we are reminded of God's grace. When we are depending on him in prayer. Paul says, pray without ceasing. But when we go about our lives without praying, we're basically saying, God, I don't need your grace or I don't want your grace. But when we pray, we are acknowledging that we need his grace. We are, all, we are praying all the time and just reminding ourselves and really t- telling him, God, I need you. I need your grace. I think gathering with God's people is another way that we can experience God's grace. If we are isolating ourselves, if we are just, you know, keeping ourselves separated from the people of God, well, we are depriving ourselves from the spiritual gifts that God gave to his church to minister to us. And at the same time, we are depriving the church of the spiritual gift that he has given me to minister to my brothers and sisters. So when we, it is extremely important that we are in constant communion with one another, in constant fellowship with one another, reminding each other 
of God's grace, giving each other God's grace. And I think, you know, one thing that we do as we gather together on Sunday is we are reminded of the gospel. Every week we come and, and, and drink from the cup, we eat the bread, and we are, rem- we are reminded of God's grace for us. We are reminded of this trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. We are being reminded of this truth and we are reminding one another of this truth as we take communion together. So let's do just that. Let's pray and let's remember the grace of God. Let's shower ourselves in the grace of God so that we are able to do what he has called us to do. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he descended that he came into the world to save sinners like us. We thank you for your grace, that it never runs out. God, we thank you that Jesus also ascended and he is Lord of all and we are with him in the heavenly places. We are captives. We belong to you, God. Thank you for the grace that you give us, not just at salvation, but the grace that you give us to walk as your church, to walk as your people. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.